I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So can you just sort of tell us your story? Sure. Um, I'm a Portland firefighter, and back in 2000, you know, when that happened, I'm September 2000, when that happened on 9-11, I was working at Station 1 as a Portland firefighter in the Tesco Rescue Team. And when the collapse happened, the attack, I was like everyone else here. I was watching it on TV. And um, and one of the firefighters that was pulled aside and grabbed to, you know, give an interview to see, for what happened, to tell him what happened, was a friend of ours. His name was Billy Quick. He was a FDNY firefighter. And, of course, you know, and he was, you know, he was, he was perceived as an FDNY, he was a personified firefighter. FDNY. He's exactly what you'd think of a firefighter was from uh, New York. You know, he was big, burly mustache, and he just loved being a fireman. Very, very, uh, you know, he was he was a big personality. Anyways, of course, he's the one that's being pulled aside and being interviewed. And right then, it was like, oh, my God, Billy survived. And uh, I called my friend Wes. Lobs was also a firefighter at once. And, um, and who, who knew Billy? And so well, as soon as I called him, he said, I just talked to Dwight, who was also a Portland firefighter. He was, he's the initial, he was Billy's first contact here in Portland. And so we all talked like, Hey, we, let's go back and help. And so when Billy, I mean, Dwight said, I already called Lisa, who was Billy Quick's wife and said, Billy said, you guys would be calling. He said, just come up. He was expecting you guys. So from that point on, we said, okay, let's go back. So it was four of us, calling myself. And um, it was like one of those divine intervention things that, that happened. We ended up flying back to New York on the 14th because a TWA flight got grounded into Portland on its way to Seattle. We went When we wanted to leave, we went down to PDX with our stuff and said, hey, we're firefighters, we want to get to New York. And they're like, well, there's no flights going to New York. The uh, airports are closed. Etc. So we're sitting there trying to figure out how we're going to get back. So we kind of contemplate maybe renting a van and driving back. And right then, someone comes up to us and says, I heard you guys are trying to get back to New York. You guys are firefighters. We're like, yes. He's like, well, we're taking a plane that's not supposed to be here back to LaGuardia. Do you guys want on it? And we're like, well, yeah. And so that's how we got on it. They were just taking a plane back from Portland that wasn't supposed to land there back to New York because they have to get out of the um, – how to get out of the airport in Portland. And so that's how we got back. And and so now, you know, we're flying on this flight, just us. It, you know, it was a flight that wasn't supposed to go back. And so during that whole flight, you know, we were talking with the, um, the crew, and they were telling us about 
their colleagues that were you know in the, on the planes that were were you know were crashed and we were telling about our firefighter friends. So we were you know I'm sure you remember how that time was. Everyone was so so melancholy and it was different. We were so um, unarmed, you know. Everyone was super vulnerable, you know. We and we all had the same trigger, you know. It was this. And all of a sudden, we all forgot about our own personal issues. You know, it was all about our state of our nation. You know, so so everyone was. We treated everybody differently back then. And so by the time we landed, and when it was so cool when we were landing, he actually the pilot said, "Hey, I'm gonna you know do a, I'm gonna fly over the, the World Trade Center." So he flew us over, and Manhattan was blacked out. They uh, they shut off all the electricity in Manhattan. The only thing that was lit up was what was called the pile and it was the World Trade Center collapse. And the only it was lit up by these huge football type lights that they set up to let up the scene. And so we're flying over there around midnight, you know. And um and so we see the the vast destruction of the you know, from watching them on T V and all of a sudden seeing it. It's like totally sobering and, and um very uh, surreal. And so we land. Billy had sent um, some, a friend of his to come pick us up at the airport, and he, was, he took us back to the, his friend took us back to his firehouse in Queens. And so he picks us up, and we get to the firehouse, and the guys are waiting for us. All the firemen stayed up, so they're waiting for us about midnight, one o'clock. We come in, and they're all waiting for us. And so they start thanking us for coming, and and we were we were really. Um, apprehensive to what we're going to walk into, you know, even though we're firefighters, this is their backyard, their colleagues, you know, their, their building, their city, but they were so gracious and so humbled that we flew all the way back to help them. And they said, Hey, Billy's picking you guys up in the morning. And we were like, what? And the only reason why Billy got to go to, and help in the collapse was because he was on vacation, and and he's a volunteer firefighter in Atlantic uh, Atlantic Beach. So when he was on vacation, he takes a scanner and is all of his turnout. And so when he was dropping his kids off at school, he heard on the radio the the call out for the box alarm at the World Trade Center. So and it was a plane crash into a building. So he tells his kids, "Dad's going." He drops his kids off at school and heads down. To Manhattan. And so, and then, you know, he survives the collapse of both buildings and he's helping, he's helping in the search. And then, you know, he gets interviewed and then we see him on the news. And the next, you know, three days later, here we are waiting for him to pick us up. Yeah. And, and the firefighters at the, at, at the big house in Queens couldn't go to the World Trade Center. Because, you know, their whole department was crippled. You know, they lost over 100 people of apparatus. At that time, hundreds, hundreds of their, their firefighters were missing. And they had lost a huge core of their special operations command um, team, which is, which is their specialty rescue. So they were, uh, clearly they were going to be down there for this um, uh, high-rise fire, you know, with the plane. So they lost all of them. They lost their command structure, all of their their uh, skilled firefighters, and then you know they're telling us they lost X amount of firemen, they lost radios, they lost apparatus, they lost air air packs, everything. So 
logistically and you know they're just depleted so the people that were were left at the firehouse had to stay at work because they had to protect the city and at that time they they were so it was so unpredictable the city was still under siege so they were so uh envious was the word i would use that we were going to get to go to the pile and help look for their their colleagues and their brothers and i along with Wes, Dwight, and Ed, literally thought we were going to go to New York and help in any capacity, you know, going to funerals, picking kids up from school, you know, those kind of things. We had no idea that we were going to get this opportunity to actually go and help. And here we are finding out Billy's picking you guys up in the morning, and you guys are going back down to help. And it was like, holy smokes. So he comes and picks us up in the morning, and uh, we drive past all of the barricades because he's got his – his special ID, because he was part of the Special Operations Command uh, team at one time, so he had his ID and he had his personal vehicle, which was totally um, dilapidated because it survived the collapse. It was an old Toyota um, Land Cruiser. And so we piled in there, and he, he drove us in all past all of the barricades, and we ride right up to the command center, and we just jump out, and it's just the five of us, and he's like, let's, start, let's go to work, you know. And so we just kind of infused ourselves, and there was so much work to do. You know, I literally felt like an ant crossing the street. I mean, that's how that's how insignificant I felt through the through the the um, scape of this um, collapse. You know, it was that large. You know, it was it was just super humbling. And so we just we got to work on the pile for five days, and like I said, it was because we were so. Um, dynamic in the way we could move because Billy wasn't attached to any, any, you know, organized, you know, engine company or truck company, but he had credentials. So they kind of let him do what he wanted to. And we we're just helping anyway. And what so did we, you do at the pile? We, like, what we, was- we were in, we, we just, it was super rudimentary work because the collapse was so gigantic and huge that they had so many different factions of a rescue. And so it was just a big pile of rubble. And the work was so rudimentary, even though we were technical rescue trained, we were literally filling five-gallon buckets up with debris and sending them down this human work chain. And if we and what we were trying to do was expose the metal I-beams that held the buildings up. And when we got to expose them, they would bring the cranes over and they would rig up cables and they would lift their huge I-beams up and it would create all of these voids. And we would start searching the voids and that's where we, you would find, you know, you know, human debris, you'd never, you never found anything really intact. You'd find maybe a finger or a part of a torso, you know, or something like that. Cause, the, you know, uh, two buildings 110 stories high fall straight down. It atomized everything. You know, you didn't even see glass and atomized all the glass. So if you found a chunk of glass on, on the scene, it was like, it was super rare. So what I was doing was putting those pieces in my pocket and when I would go back to the firehouse and they would be waiting for us to they would ask us, Hey, did you find any of our guys? What's it like? And so I would give them these pieces of chunks of glass I would find because they would tell me stories about how much that building meant to them, you know, as growing up. And they couldn't go. So I was I would bring back um you know mementos for them because I knew it was super super meaningful for them and I end up keeping one piece for myself. But that we we just we we were involved in search. We we did you know find um, you know um, 
we found a, a chunk of a, a New York firefighter. You know, when we were lifting the um, I-beams up, we found a ladder truck smashed. You know, that's what you'd find. You'd, you'd, after they lifted debris, you'd find a ladder truck and an engine smashed. And that's sometimes where you'd find, uh, you know, remains of a firefighter because you could tell they were trying to run back and, and dive under the rig, you know. And it was just, it was absolutely horrible. And, um, it was, there were so many people working, you know, and, and it was, it was just exhausting work. And you realized every day that you were there that there was no way you were going to find anybody that survived, you know, because you just saw, you know, the depth of the, the, the collapse and the destruction. Like I said, it atomized glass. So there's no way a human body was going to make it, you know, so the only survivor was, that actually made it out were the ones initially they pulled out within that first day that were kind of stuck in the voids that still had enough strength to radio out and it kind of let them know where they were. And when the sun came up, they got some more light and they, and uh, that helped when, when the sun, when all the debris cleared and the sun came down, the people that were trapped, the firefighters that were trapped could finally see. You know, and they could they could climb out out the little voids after being able to see, and that's that's who uh, survived. You know, out of, out of one of the stairwells in the north north building of Tower One. What did you take away? Yeah, like what did you take away from the whole thing when you were back in Portland? Um, like, you know what, what was your initial I, feeling? My initial feeling was how, um, even though we were we were so as you know as a community in Portland. And we were, we had so much empathy and sorrow, you know, for what we, what we witnessed on TV. There was no way you could actually feel it, except you were being there and talking to people that had something really tangible, a person, you know, a building or a memory, their city. It was so tangible to them. And so here, if, you know, we could see it and say, oh, that's terrible and, and kind of go out a merry way, you know, after, after kind of thinking about it for a little bit. And they go, man, that's terrible. And then we can go biking or something, you know. But those people there couldn't get away from it, you know. They could not get away from it. The nightmares, you know, the the memories that were lost, the people that weren't coming home, you know. And so for me, we just didn't get it here because it wasn't as tangible for us being this far away. But I got to see it. And it was, for me, it was so, uh, it was so much, so much more heartfelt, you know. But I will tell you this. I will say this, that, and I, I'm sure you remember this. I, I remember as horrible as an event that was, we as a country and a nation were, we were such in lockstep with our patriotism and our little petty, petty little issues that we had with each other or somebody, they were gone. All we, we were, we always, we all were worried about the same thing. What was next for our country, you know? And so it was such a better time to be an American. I mean, we all had American flags on our cars, you know. We were all kinder to each other, you know. As you look at 20 years later, the way we are now as a country, we're, we're fractured, you know. We hate our neighbors. You know, we, we, we're upset with some of our, our family members, you know. And to me, that's the saddest part. I, I, I remember what I felt 20 years ago during that horrible event. The thing that I did not feel was unpatriotic and you know we were we were united we weren't fractured and here 20 years later where we as the state of our union as a, as a country it's it's incredible you know i know covid has a lot to do with it but it was even before covid you know and so that that really upsets me and makes me sad you know 
But yeah. um, but the worst part of not the worst part about the the ending to this chapter that Wes and and Dwight and Ed and I experienced, you know, um, you know, ten years later, well, it wasn't even a decade later. Billy's wife calls us and says, you know, Billy had to medically retire from being a firefighter because he had lost his uh, breathing, his lung capacity with a shot, so he couldn't breathe very well. He had really bad breathing issues. He had bad knees, so he had to medically retire. And he fell into this huge, deep depression because he personified being a firefighter. He loved it. And he's one of the most decorated firefighters in the whole city of New York. And, you know, and they were talking about a workforce of 15,000. So he, she asked us, Billy won't go to, he won't go to his dialysis. Can you guys help me? And so we said, you know what? We're going to fly out there. So Wes and I flew out to New York and we invited a couple of his friends from Miami and they flew out and we surprised him. And he was excited to see us. You know, he was upstairs in his room. He wouldn't, couldn't walk down the stairs. And he said, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll go to Dallas in the morning, you know, because we're like, hey, what do you, you know, come on, you can't quit. And we're going to take you to Dallas, you know, we're going to drag you down there. So he was happy to see us. He, he was appreciative. So he was going to go out. He was going to go to Dallas in the morning. And he dies that night. Oh, how sad. And Wes and I are in, staying at their house. And we I hear Lisa scream. And I run over there. And I see him in his, in his computer chair. And I know he's dead because his face is blue. I tell Lisa... Get the kids, go call 911. I wake Wes up, we start doing CPR on him, and he's dead. And, and we were sitting on the floor going, what the fuck just happened? You know, why did this happen to us? You know, like, how, why are we here on the last day that, you know, Billy Quick is alive? And he was, he was a very, he was a legendary firefighter in the FDNY. And when, cause when he passed, his wake took two days because there were so many people that wanted to see him that it was a two-day wake just for the viewing. And um, and we got to be part of that. You know, Lisa wanted us to be there with her. We were super apprehensive about it. We're like, hey, you're going to need your family to be at the, your house. We just want to get out of your hair. And she goes, no, I want you to get here with me. And so we stayed and got to um, experience and say goodbye to Billy. And it was this grand funeral that it was like right out of movies you know it was a long parade all members of the emerald society which is their bag and pipes and drums they all played usually they just send four or five people all of them wanted to play for billy so he had this huge huge procession you know with all the all the fire trucks following and we drove through his neighborhood it was unbelievable it was right out of movies and it was that was like the end of of that story for us you know but it was so for 10 years, it was just, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Well, gosh, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cut it up and uh, play a little bit on Friday, okay? Well, I hope that helps. Thank you very much. It does. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.